Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to InsureTech Amplified. We are joined today by Jan Babaru, the CEO and a co-founder of Autonomy. Love the name. Jan, thank you so much for coming on, on the show and doing this. Um, it's really great to have you here. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background for some context? Thanks a lot for having us. Uh, very excited. So, uh, as you said, Jan, CEO and co-founder of Autonomy. Um, I'm, I'm a French national. Uh, grew up in Marseille, uh, southern France. Nice. Uh, went to grad school in Paris in the 90s. Studied computer computer science. So I'm a nerd at heart. Love you it. know, first. And um, 20 years ago, I actually uh, made a move to the U.S. So I crossed the ponds and landed in New York. Um, and essentially, I never left the U.S. So I've been in New York, New York for 20 years now. Um, my career has been uh, for me to navigate um, the interesting water in uh, financial market, uh, structured product underwriting, risk management, and technology innovation at a number of um, large FIs, uh, banks, brokerage firms, and also innovation lab at um, a pretty big Fortune 500 uh, companies in downtown Manhattan, where I kind of you know get to uh, essentially like discover the fascinating world of uh, Web3 machine learning and so forth. So it, this is really interesting for me, and I'm curious about your opinion on this as well. I left New York when I was 24 years old. I did the reverse trade that you did. I left New York and went to Tokyo, and I lived there for 20-something years. So it's kind of reverse. Mm -hmm. Is there a part of you that feels like less French than you might feel if you had stayed in France the whole time? Because I don't look Japanese, but boy, mm -hmm. there's a part of me that really feels Japanese. And I'm curious what, how you feel about like living in the U.S. for 20-something years from when you were younger to today. Yeah, that's it's very um very compelling observation. I mean, the uh, my response is you know several fold. Number one, I spent majority of my adult life in in US. Uh, you know, my brain was essentially manufactured in American way. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. for for me being a grown up as opposed to be a child in in Europe, so that that does affect differently the way that you know you mature and and and, and so forth. Uh, the second thing is, you know, I call New York my home. So that's yeah. that's a definite. Uh, I'm now actually a dual citizen. I have a U.S. passport. Um, you know, I have an apartment. I have a little cute dog as well here. So really, that's uh, my life is here. My company is headquartered in, in Brooklyn. Uh, but I do appreciate, obviously, visiting the family in France. I have family actually in Italy and other parts of the world. So really excited to cross the pond and, you know, see them, you know, every, every now and then as well. Yeah. And, and while it may not seem relevant to people that are just listening to the beginning of this, right. But this idea of like being a third culture adult, which is what I feel like I am, I actually think is super relevant, particularly when it comes to innovation. And I'll tell you why. And I'm curious what you think. I think if you grow up in one place, but become an adult in another place, it gives you a different view on the world, but it also makes you look at everything else you do inside your life from a different perspective. Is that fair as well? Yeah, I cannot agree more. Um, you know, I, I do come across as some sort of hybrid alien when I when I visit my my parents and right. my my siblings. Always, you know, kind of get confused about Fahrenheit. You know, the currency. Fahrenheit. <laughs> I'm I'm you know always like over tip. You know, when I go to <laughs> restaurants and bars, people are loving me <laughs> in Europe quite a bit. But I'm also extremely impatient, right? So yeah, I don't yeah. understand why I cannot get my beer in 20 seconds and I have to wait another half hour for the waiter to uh, to care for me. 
Yeah, so the, the, it is not only uh, innovation, it's the day to day life that has a lot of, um, you know, different flavor. But I'm I'm very grateful to be here. Um, you know, New York is is extremely vibrant, and obviously the West Coast has brought in uh, this new paradigm yeah. in technology the past um, three decades. And we can I live it day to day. That's you know this um, innovation mindset. It's uh, such a different uh, different different set here. It, it's a, such a different way of uh, thinking about the future and how technology can impact the, the world. It really is, and I will say this to you. I've done recordings with InsurTech founders all over the world. And there's a distinctive difference when you talk to the founders in the United States. And whether you like it or not, you're a New Yorker. Like you just yeah. are. I can feel it. I can see it. I can hear it in the attitude. And that's a good thing, particularly when you're trying to build something from scratch. I want to say this as well. I spent 20-something years working at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. Most of it, like I said, in Tokyo. But we went through this massive digital transformation as well prior to when insurance companies were going through this. And I'm curious what you take from all the tech that you used when you were a credit trader and a derivatives trader, right, in your, I'll say, previous life, now into the insurance world. Because I've done the same thing. Like, I feel like everything that we did before is now being applied to the insurance industry, particularly as it relates to taking real-time data to make trading decisions and then real-time data to create parametric insurance. Can you make some equivalency for me? You did your homework on, on my uh, career and my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> you didn't think you were dealing with amateurs, did you? <laughs> okay, so I I cannot agree more again, but um, let me um, let me put some uh, wrinkle, you know, Please here do. and there. Um, so my my path, you know, in Wall Street was of different nature, right? So I did start by, uh, you know, technology engineering and really like supporting uh, trading systems, risk management for for some time, yep. five, seven years. And uh, I was extremely fascinated by, you know, the, the state of technology at that point, uh, obviously, you know, algo trading and, you know, AI and that was not there yet, but that was about to start developing and accelerating. So it was kind of like the premise of this uh, new generation of, uh, you know, trading platforms. Uh, and then I moved on into uh, credit trading, risk management, structuring, especially pronounced in emerging markets. You know, that's why I know the, the IPAC region fairly well and LATAM, uh, SEMIA and so forth. What I learned in, you know, my my past life in, in banking and, and capital markets was around number one, discipline. So the discipline in operation execution, uh, waking up at you know five thirty six a.m. be on time, be be ready to um, essentially give like a, a quick crisp recap of uh, you know yesterday's uh, trading session or whatever has been happening. The morning and meeting. then morning meetings, my favorite, not exactly. And uh, <laughs> I guess number two is um, also you know a lot of uh, flexibility and kind of forward thinking. Right. Um, a lot of uh, what I saw and what I learned, you know, in this uh, environment was uh, this capacity to reinvent yourself based on uh, the fact that, you know, a strategy or a certain trading environment uh, might have, you know, some footing, might work for some time. But, uh, you know, sooner or later, you could have someone else, you know, coming up with new ideas and trying to uh, arbitrage. And in that capacity, I, I actually work with um, absolute talents. 
in the in the space uh, whom I, I I learn from, right? So it's not like I'm a self-made man. It's definitely uh, kind of me like learning from a uh, great leader in the industry and getting inspired by their disciplines and methods. And so, and the, the third chapter is around you know forward thinking about technology specifically. Uh, so I can tell you not only by kind of like you know secondhand you know observing you know this development of a uh, new um, you know, infrastructure and a new arbitrage training that was extremely compelling. But uh, actually, first and myself, I joined the ventures arm at Citigroup in in um, in 2017 in, into 2018, where the uh, development of uh, blockchain Web3 was you know experiencing this first real you know kind of accelerated boom at that point. So you know, obviously, the state of the market is different now in, in Web3, but I did kind of like serve the wave of being, you know, part of this uh, very exciting uh, few years. And at that point, I saw something very different. And as you said, it's essentially what's essentially what you um, you're thinking when you want to connect the dots with, you know, what you, you learned for two decades and what you're building as an entrepreneur. And so what I'm doing now. So this is the equivalency that I want to make. How do you take all that stuff that you learned? Right. Because here's my experience. When I left my career, and my last job was like I was in charge of portfolio trading and algorithmic trading at two firms. Okay, so I've done that. I did that for a long time. And you know the way this works. The market opens at nine o'clock in the morning. You got to be there at six to be prepared. At least in Japan, it closes at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then from then on, you've got to like report net asset values and stuff like that to fund managers. Like it's hard work and it's really fast paced. And one of the things that I found when I left was that like the rest of the world moves at a much, much slower pace, much slower pace. And not just from an innovation standpoint, from an everyday day-to-day standpoint, because there are no like natural deadlines on a day-to-day basis. Was that also an adjustment for you, if you know what I mean? Because if you're trading, right, and the market closes and you haven't completed all the stuff you have to complete, like you have no excuse. Like you missed it in a way. But in the other, in the rest of the world, that doesn't really exist. Did you find that as well? Or is that just me? Yeah, I can, I can vouch for your thesis or your hypothesis, but I can tell you maybe the way I perceived it the best now, three and a half years, you know, working on building my own platform, being an, a CEO and entrepreneur of, own, of autonomy with my co-founder. At first, really, we were the two of us, uh, Jeremy and I. So Jeremy is my CTO uh, based in Boston. Uh, we actually met through uh, the, the Web3 and kind of the blockchain uh, community. At first, you know, it, it was so, you know, kind of open-ended, uh, you know, kind of a lot of um, soundboarding, brainstorming, creativity. We had nothing. And, you know, both of us, we were moving at our own pace, but we were always coming up with new stuff. And I didn't feel the brunt of kind of like trying to structure too much, right? It was very much like in very happy phase of just like discovering a million things right yeah but sooner or later what you see is you need to scale you need to essentially get a little pra- pragmatic about you know your goal and your milestones you know for your investors and we're starting to hire right we're starting to hire you know first consultants and eventually full-time uh, internal hire within autonomy and then you need to rely on uh, your employees' performance to actually meet your goal or the company's goal, and and that's where the disconnect started to like uh, being more visible because you know it seems like you know I'm kind of a hair on fire 
waving waving my arms, you know, twenty four seven. And people say, yeah, and, and, it, and people say, well, you know, I have a family, and uh, <laughs> You're like so do I. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, what's what's wrong about that? And um, and then I have to adapt to a certain extent, but it, it comes by waves because you know you want to listen, you want to understand. But the vision and the goal are so aggressive and so ambitious that really, at the end of the day, I'm still right that we need to push yeah. further. We need to push harder. And I think I find like the common ground where the dynamic is there, the people believe it, and you know people put extra work. But then I understand, you know, I'm not going to be sending them emails or Slack, Slack messages every Saturday, Sunday, right? So I respect, you know, some boundaries. But, you know, it does happen that we have to, like, go crunch time a weekend to, like, you know, meet a deadline on Monday. Yeah. And people don't mind it. They understand it pretty well. I, I want to ask you one more theoretical thing, and then I want to dig deeper into autonomy, if you don't mind. When I left Goldman Sachs, right, my, that, was only, that was my only business experience was this sort of big company experience. So when I started building my own company, one of the things that really surprised me was just the lack of existing resources, you know, at Goldman, if I needed to get something done, I called the IT department. If my phone wasn't working, I called the phone guys. Do you know what I mean? Was this a, not a surprise to you, but was there an adjustment that you needed to make as well? Because the the ability to, like, build your own resources is different than just having all those resources there when you wake up in the morning, yeah? Yeah, so I do feel, you know, the same the same feedback, the same feedback that you were describing. I got to say that... I'm kind of a self-starter, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. by nature. Um, I'm very creative because you know I like drawing, I like you know uh, composing music, I like you know a bunch of stuff like design. And for me, you know, doing everything and nothing within my own company was, was kind of a second nature. Cool. And I, I didn't mind actually being like multidisciplinary in that way, uh, on my kind of my own uh, volition, but. What is also true is the lack of resources can can be hitting in in several fashion, right? So the most glaring one uh, for us is uh, data acquisition and you know kind of the capacity to actually expand you know some partnership that requires uh, engineering resources, right? So when we have like a, a grand plan to expand in certain region or, or otherwise, that does require upfront investment. And, you know, at City, in my case, in New Goldman, it's like you get to your boss, you say, well, listen, we're going to be making, you know, X millions. Uh, it's worthwhile, like, you know, kind of expanding, but I'm going to need like, you know, three months worth of work from my technology department or whatever else. And you get you get to sign up real, real quick because, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty deep well of, uh, of resources in those large companies, yeah, yeah. which is not the case for a small startup. <laughs> no, not at all. Anyway, it was a big adjustment for me. But in a way, it made me also focus, right? Because it was super easy at Goldman to just go, we need this done, we need that done, we need this done. And for us, because we were growing a business from $8 million of revenue a year to $135 million of revenue a year, like as, as long as you're growing like that, you kind of get the resources that you need. But when you're building your own thing, besides the fact that the KPIs are different, the revenue growth obviously is not as fast necessarily so your ability to garner resources is different. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about autonomy. How did you and your co-founder, Jeremy, I think you said, decide mm -hmm. to focus on this part of the insurance industry? Can you tell me about that? All right, so I can give you the, uh, the quick 90 second. Um, so autonomy, 
is focus on the time critical freight sector, right? So you you can think you know industries such as uh, life science, pharma, vaccine shipments, organ transplant, um, aviation, aerospace, perishables, flowers, produce, semiconductors, and, and so forth. So that market on aggregate, which is essentially the, you know, some product of a, a number of verticals uh, is actually totaling $6 trillion of cargo value every year. So it's huge. So the time critical, time critical space is actually tremendous. And, you know, what we assess is nearly $50 billion, would it be 50 billion of losses due to cargo delay and shipment in interruption? You know, every year. So th this is a huge gap in the industry, and, and unfortunately, you know, when you look at you know at what kind of protection and safety net those companies have, uh, the cargo insurance uh, policy and, and product that they have completely excludes delay as a peril, right? So you might you know end up losing millions on a vaccine shipment. Uh, you think that you can get protected by your insurance contract, and obviously you find out that, you know, you get $0 out of it. So, you know, that was kind of like the, the starting point, right, for, for us to to think about it in a very business-oriented way. But kind of to, to retrace a little bit of our story with, uh, with Jeremy, so both of us are kind of product uh, engineers. Um, we are very passionate about the Web3 blockchain space. And the initial idea, you know, you know, out of COVID was to essentially like, you know, make a leap of faith from, you know, corporate America and build a blockchain platform that can be automating uh, operations for insurance. So quoting, uh, claim settlements, pricing, risk management using smart contracts. So that was kind of the starting point. And right around the, uh, the first quarter of, of 21, uh, the Swiss Canal blockage in yeah. Egypt happened, and it was you know this very uh, must have loved uh, that in a way, right? Because yeah. you're like, see, uh, now you don't have to so convince was, anybody. You're like, see, this can happen. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that was a, a light bulb moment. I mean, for not only me or Jeremy, that was uh, for the, everybody. You know, this the eight billion uh, people in the world just looking at it, saying, "Oh my God, you know, what are we going to do about it?" Yeah. Um. So so that was essentially for us the um, you know, the trust and confidence and validation of, you know, such a different product could be applied to a very outdated, you know, sector that's in need for the, the right financial hedging product. Uh, so th that was kind of the origin story. Um, and then, you know, from that point on, I mean, obviously, this has been kind of a, a bumpy road, you know, as any startups uh, but it's been it's been you know absolutely fascinating the the way that people are actually like looking at our product our team and kind of seeing the shine in their eyes and trying to you know the, the we can't wait to see you like uh, you know succeed and making like you know an absolute like worldwide success and yeah it's been a pleasure so far. So it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. It's a fifty billion dollar opportunity of of potential losses, and you're also incorporating. Blockchain, you said smart contracts. So I presume the platform that you're existing on is Ethereum. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that's correct. So our uh, smart contract is deployed on Ethereum. We also have other projects on, on Polygon for layer two kind of a transactional efficiency. Um, we are we're using a per permission environment because we're working with pretty traditional player and stakeholders, uh, you know, in logistics and insurance. Not 
going the full public side of, of things uh, so far, but we have the you know strong belief that eventually we'll we'll get to do a more grand scale of you know kind of deployment of smart contracts. So it's it's very very exciting. Uh, what we're integrating this year, um, which is obviously even more exciting, uh, we develop an AI-assisted um, chatbot for our customer when it comes to um, uh, essentially trying to find out what's in this uh, black box, which is this insurance policy, right? Right. Uh, you know, we bring in, you know, transparency, visibility, speeds, and, you know, costs, effectiveness to, uh, to the customer. But more often than not, even though like the outcome of a policy being paid out within 24 to 48 hours is a great outcome, uh, people want to know what's going on, right? Because they really don't understand insurance well. I'm not actually, um, you know, kind of claiming that I'm a full expert, but at least I'm, I know my product very, right. very well. But it is it is a little bit of uh, kind of legalese and, and um, you know, some sort of complexity that you, you get up to face. And while we kind of like, make it like simplified as much as possible. We kind of left off with having some complexity. So that was one of the ideas that came up, you know, earlier this year. And obviously the advent of uh, Gen AI kind of facilitated our capability within the engineering team to uh, integrate uh, open AI, um, you know, capability in terms of embeddings, vectorized database. And in that case, really is as simple as coming to the chatbot and saying, where is my shipment or, I'm shipping, um, you know, perishable goods. Um, are they protected under this uh, this policy? Um, do you think, you know, I can get like a real time update if anything happened, right. or can you re-explain, you know, certain things uh, around exclusion of goods, and then the chatbot kind of parses out parses out the whole, you know, legalese and kind of just like simplify in a few sentences. So that's that's been fascinating. And uh, we're working on expanding those capability in terms of underwriting, uh, pricing, and risk management in the next uh, few months and into 24. The shipping industry itself is also a little bit old-fashioned, right? I mean, if you look globally, a lot of the sh big shipping companies, whether it's like Land and Sea and Land or, or whatever they're called, right, they're still using paper to write their mm -hmm. contracts as well. And there are companies like GoComet, right, that mm -hmm. are built in, in Singapore that are trying to change this into this AI-powered transportation visibility platform. And it seems to me like that would be a great partnership potentially because they're already dealing with the booking and the control of ships going all over the world. And the natural thing to sell to them is this product, right? Does that make sense as well to use that as a distribution mechanism too? Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting that you mentioned Go Comet. I actually met them um, uh, last year. So at that point, uh, the Singapore platform was not, you know, kind of like um, on on the the roadmap just yet. So we uh, kind of agree that we should be like uh, reengaging at a little point. But as you mentioned, I'm I, I'm traveling to Asia uh, in the end of the year, so that's definitely the 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 type of companies that I'll be reaching out and trying to reconnect. Uh, so go comet they are essentially our adjacent partner on the kind of a log tech right log tech space and we are the uh, insurance insurance technology firm that could be kind of helping them uh, distribute you know very digital products to, to those customers that they already providing a lot of visibility and transparency yeah so companies such as this is definitely are uh, the kind of network we're working with. We have uh, uh, two companies we're working with in, in US and in LATAM, uh, very much like this uh, API enabled 
um, you know, uh, integration with uh, existing cargo platform. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, we have enough uh, digital enablement in terms, of, in terms of the platform so we can connect and offer instant quotes, um, you know, very uh, extremely fast claims, you know, quick pricing and also like, you know, resolution of claims in a, in a very uh, quick turnaround. So generally, like, we love those those people. So if you if you think about someone else that I could meet in in Singapore when I travel uh, in a month, uh, would love the uh, the intro. Are you going to the Singapore fintech festival? Um, I'm going to miss the this week. Um, I have a pack schedule in the last time actually mid November, uh, but I'll be targeting uh, last week in November in Singapore and first week in in of December in Hong Kong. I'm actually a, a speaker, so a panelist at uh, a maritime and insurance panel in in Hong Kong at the um, Intratech Insight uh, event. Good for you. It's a, that that's a great event, actually. Can I ask you this too? So you talked about parametric insurance, right? Quick payouts, you know, based on real time information and real time data. Is there also what I like to call a para indemnity part of this, right? Where you pay a little bit of the claim out at the beginning through parametric insurance and then sort of an indemnification after if if potentially the payout needs to be larger. Does that make sense as well in this context? Yeah, it's very smart. I feel like, you know, I could get uh, you a spot as a, a product or a business specialist within my team. <laughs> so we're thinking in the, the exact same way. Um, Parametric insurance, as you describe it, is very much, um, you know, kind of a preset claim amount being paid out. So yeah. the limit, let's say, of $100,000, uh, that could be essentially settled, uh, you know, in a quick manner. So 24, 48 hours and no question asked or very limited amounts of uh, interaction from the customer standpoint. And so people love it because, you know, they don't need to file a claim, you know, adjudicate, uh, going on the phone and so forth. But it, it is also true that uh, more often than not, what you see is for larger, um, you know, cargo values, such as vaccine, some, you know, aviation parts that can cost $10 million, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand of dollars of claim settlement might be a good start, but they might actually need to recoup maybe a full million, a full 2.5 million. So in that case, getting started with the parametric and getting into a more traditional indemnity product uh, to some maybe light touch and automated, you know, claim processes with the TPA, yeah. third party agents, it might be like a very smart expansion of our product. So we're thinking about, you know, creating what we call the cargo plus, uh, you know, we have uh, the delay uh, for shipment right now in, in, in the, in the product and platform. Uh, we're thinking about kind of creating a more a comprehensive uh, uh, cargo, uh, you know, offering to the customer, including potential indemnity product in the future. Can you talk a little bit more about expansion into Asia? I mean, I sit, as you know, between this year, I've basically spent one third and one third and one third of my life between Singapore, Japan, and Thailand. And I'm just curious at scale, like you, you said, you're coming out to Asia. Obviously, there's an Asia expansion angle to what you're doing. Can you talk just in a little bit more detail about why you think this is such a great market for autonomy and just why you're coming out here, what you're expecting to accomplish? Yeah, so let me recap a little bit of our kind of like global strategy generally. So we U.S.-based headquartered in Brooklyn. Uh, we're backed by the uh, Lloyd's Market out of London. Yeah. Uh, so we do have a lot of footprints in Europe, naturally. So I, as you know, as I'm, I'm French, so developing product in Europe is, is part of the uh, the strategy. But, you know, 
uh, interestingly, we're actually getting a lot of traction from Latin America right now. So a lot of LATAM trades coming in from Peru, Mexico, Colombia, Chile, potentially Brazil, and, and so forth. Okay. So starting from this observation, we kind of like thought about, okay, it doesn't have to be U.S. for a few years and then expanding. I think we can do kind of multi-threading. You know, there's definitely some opportunity that are going to come at the same time, especially because they are importer-exporter into and outside of us so therefore you know a global view of the of the, the market and the sector is actually paramount yeah so now let's get into my personal type of uh, background for a quick second okay. so it turned out that i'm actually half vietnamese um so i did i did used to travel to vietnam uh, when I was a kid, to to see uh, my my family, my That's mom, awesome. cousin, and so forth, That's and awesome. I I so I grew up in in an Asian household myself, and I, I've been always wanted to kind of reconnect with my origin. Um, I just joined um, the Asian chapter of an InsurTech. Um, you know, community in New York actually a couple of weeks ago, and that's one of the things that I'm doing personally. But going back to the business. So we have a BD person in in Hong Kong, a good friend of mine that's kind of raised his hand saying like, you know, I want to help your business. And I said, well, you know, it's it's actually perfect in terms of timing because I'm actually a speaker in Hong Kong. And at that point, we've been essentially building a whole roadmap of how to expand into uh, the Asian platform. And what you know is uh, nearly 55% of shipping volume yeah. is between Asia and, and the West Coast of US. So really is the the majority of the global trades between the two platforms, which is exactly what we want to what we want to cover and service. Yeah, and that's not going to get smaller. And if you add sort of India, so if you take like basically all the stuff that's coming from India, all the stuff that's coming from Hong Kong via China and from the deep water port that exists in Singapore. Yeah, you're talking about a ton of cargo that's going to the West Coast of the United States and just a massive opportunity. I love this idea that half your family is Vietnamese. I don't know why it puts such a big smile on my face. I mean, I think part of it is just because I've lived in Asia for most of my life. And we talked about the third culture bit, but now I understand even deeper why you feel that way. And I feel like a third culture adult because even though my family is all based in the United States, you know, my wife is Japanese. My daughter is half Japanese. So like... I get that feeling. And there's a really interesting attachment once you've been out here for a while. And it just makes me feel like, and, and also because what's happening out here is it's growing really fast, right? I was in Vietnam at the beginning of this year for a tech conference. I spoke there as well. And just the energy and the excitement of what's happening there in the tech and, and not just in the insure tech space, but in the tech startup space is amazing. And for you then to come here and to be able to experience that is super cool. I want to ask you one more thing and then I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. what was it like participating in Lloyd's lab? And maybe you can just kind of explain to people what that is and why the Lloyd's lab itself is so important, not just because it's kind of like the 250 year old origin of insurance globally anyway, but just what the Lloyd's lab is trying to do. And you should also know this, that I had Ed Gaze on my show. He was the previous runner of the Lloyd's lab. So I'm very familiar with what it's, what it is, but maybe you can tell me what your experience was like as well. Yeah, I think you you touch on a, a very critical point of our uh, growth and history. Yeah, so I've been in touch with Ed, you know, throughout the summer. You know, been running to him cool. at a number of uh, events throughout the year. He's just traveling crazy and growing his own business yeah, now, yeah, which yeah. is I'm, I'm very I'm very excited for him. 
but then London specifically, right? So Lloyd is based in the in the city in London. Um, I think I, I traveled to London maybe a, a total of 30 times in my life, um, you know, in my past life when I used to work in Paris for a quick six-month stint and yeah. then New York or when I was a student as well. Plus now in insurance, obviously, you know, a couple, couple times a year, I'm, I'm going to go see my underwriters and the brokers and, and so forth. Um, so in any case, Lloyd was, you know, kind of deep in my heart. Uh, I wanted yeah. to reconnect and we were actually, um, you know, kind of applying for, you know, a few years in a row, um, you know, they have two cohorts a year. Uh, we got rejected, I think a total of four times. And then eventually we got to this, the pitch day. Everybody does, uh, right? Which, like no one gets yeah, in exactly. the first time. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that was in March, 2022. And I was excited. I was uh, a little kind of nervous because it was online. Yeah. Most people, they were, you know, in Europe. So I, you know, I told myself, all right, there's no way I'm going to get selected. You know, if you don't replace, you know, in-presence pitch with, yeah, yeah. you know, a quick Zoom. And they actually gave me the uh, the get-go, the green lights in uh, in few hours. Like they say, okay, we like you. And we're starting April 25th. Uh, are you in? And like you got to sign the uh, the document, the, the agreement, like right away. It's like oh my Done. god, I'm excited. And they said, well, it's uh, either two ways. You can come the first week, the last week, and then you free to do online, or you know if you want, you can come. There's a spot for you uh, in house, right, in the Lloyd's building and yeah. in the lab, and then you can stay as a resident for three months. I said, you know, I'm gonna take the the second option. Yeah, I'm coming. There's no way I'm not going to come in person. That's yeah, yeah. such a different setup, which I did. So I did uh, move to to London for three months. And that was one of my the best times of my life. You know, I had, I think, two days of rain in three months, for which sure. is, you know, yeah, it's 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 crazy that I had the best weather, the yeah, best yeah. time. I have a bunch of friends. And um, and that was the last cohort of Ed Gaze as well. So cool. I, I get to like enjoy like, you know, him running the the show and kind of us, you know, being um, grateful to be connected with his network. But I, I got to say, I'm also very grateful for Rosie, uh, the need to uh, to actually take over. Uh, she's been uh, actually phenomenal at uh, like running uh, the lab in, in a different fashion, but really as as effectively. And I ran to her in Miami in, in April this year, and she's been traveling crazy as well. And I believe this community is um, extremely strong. Uh, I mean, I can tell you that much. You know, there's so many ways I can I can describe the lab. But uh, I I actually uh, sponsored an event this week for New York Tech Week in uh, in New York, um, and um, we had 120 participants to our shows and, and, and events. And I think it was like six or seven companies were like alumni from the, the, from lab. the lab. So yeah. the community is yeah the the community is like uh, you know it's it's worldwide. Yeah. We like you know helping each other. And it was uh, fascinating. So yeah, Louis Lab was was great. You know, everything. These are kind of nuggets of perks that I got. But the really the core of the business there was to connect with the syndicates, the underwriters, the brokers, pitch them. So I I think we met over hundreds uh, Lloyd's uh, professionals uh, in three months. We were essentially like pitching every day. Uh, and we get our binder agreements uh, out of the lab. So, you know, one of the syndicates say, okay, very exciting. We're going to support and back your business. And that was, uh, and That's then awesome. on the back of it, we we raised 3.5 million, you know, a few months later. So yeah. the momentum was tremendous for us.
Yeah, I mean, that's just the thing that I wanted people to understand is that there's something really special happening at the Lloyd's Market. Ed was great. You're right. The next leadership is different, but again, great in a different way, which is great for the people that participate in it. Anyway, I just wanted to get that mm -hmm. part of the message out there. If there's anything else you want to point out about autonomy or about your own experiences, we can do that now. If not, I can just thank you for being on the show because I really appreciate your time. Up to you. Yeah, no, so I wanted to, uh, you know, use the, the next few minutes to um, <clears throat> quickly announce uh, two partnerships. Go for it. So we are we extremely excited uh, uh, to uh, to have two embedded solution in the cargo space being announced uh, in October and November. Uh, so the first one is in LATAM, uh, Peruvian market, which is extremely, um, you know, exporter heavy of perishables produce. And we're helping them essentially uh, safeguard their financial losses on the back of uh, shipping delays. Uh, new product worldwide and LATAM getting the primer of um getting this product out there in the market. And that's essentially like the first uh, chapter of uh, a longer expansion in LATAM. Uh, and the second partnership coming up in the next few weeks is uh, US-based with some footprints in Singapore uh, for the, with the same type of setup. So embedded solution within the shipping and cargo space to develop really uh, direct to customers, so B2B customers to uh, buy in, in few seconds uh, cargo delay product in order to uh, essentially hedge out their financial losses on the back of an interruption. That's awesome. Okay. Jan Barbaro, the CEO and a co-founder of Autonomy. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. That was awesome. Thanks a lot, Mike. It was uh, an amazing uh, uh, 40 minutes.